I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This program was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. Phone-in elements of these shows are not available, but if you'd like to comment or give us feedback on our shows, you can tweet us at Love Sport Radio. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Alternatively, you can find this and other podcasts on iTunes or Spotify using the keyword LoveSport. It is one victory in seven league games. That was flipping seven wins in a row before that one victory in those seven league games. Back-to-back league defeats for the first time this season. We're going to be talking about that double handball from Naki Wells last weekend. We're going to be talking about Elia Caprile arriving. We're going to be talking about Ian Poveda arriving at Ellen Road. Shea Adams, however, most definitely has not arrived. It's Millwall up next. They've lost just two in 16 since Gary Rowett arrived at the day. And I tell you what, this is the Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, joined as ever by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Hello, John. Do you need the running order? Is that what you're looking for? (laughs) Why every week am I trying to find the running order? Every single week. I've misplaced it. I do apologise. How are you, John? I'm good, yeah. How are you? Good, thank you. Chris Taylor from LUFC Data as well. Hello, Chris. Hello there. Great to have you on the show. If you just shift over, I think you've spoken into the wrong microphone. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Should we start again the show? Let's put the music back on and we'll start again. In fact, gents, before we start, um, there is something that I do want to say to you both. And... uh, I've got to say, your actions recently have stood in stark contrast to an awful lot of what I've seen at, fo- uh, at radio shows in recent years. It's true. John, Chris, you've been an absolute credit to yourself, your profession and the club you represent. <laughs> I wish you all the best in your career. OK? <laughs> Who's that? Sounds oh, like come Gar- on. Sounds like Gary Monk to You me, must that. know. That's very Monk. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that, is <laughs> that no. Gary Monk? That is, of course, Peter Blexley, oh, who yes, wrote his open letter to Jack Harrison oh, this of week. Course, of course. What do you think of that, gents? I thought it was awful. You did, didn't you? you don't <laughs> I like really it. didn't like it. Did you? I thought it was a really lovely touch. Well, I just, I just think it's sort of harking back to this sort of idea that the most important thing to do on a football field is just be a damn good chap, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was a football match where, you know, yeah, Jack Harrison got up, uh, he was injured a couple of times, got up. But like, if he'd have broken his leg, I wouldn't have expected him to just get up and get on with it. For example, I don't think I don't think going down is necessarily a problem because, as a, as a fan, you never really know what what's going on with a player. Like, there's there's no saying that they could be in a lot of agony. Um, in, incidentally, as well, like Calvin Phillips jumped in two footed at the other end. It wasn't exactly like Leeds are some kind of um, paragon team of, of of ethics and virtue as well. So I don't know. I think it's. I, I get that that you know we in the UK we do like this sort of uh, attitude where you are you are a good sport and whatever but I don't really hold it against people when they aren't because I think there's there's reasons why people 
do things like dive um and 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 there's reasons for that and i think we're kind of we're we're responsible for that as well as fans because we we now want our teams to win at all costs too we we expect our teams to win um and and we as a result of that you can't complain when when someone dives but that's just me maybe that's just me that is a fair comment from you there john long, McKenzie. no it's good like, hey, hey thought I, of the day i enjoyed it and actually before we move on i'm aware that we haven't touched on the opening stat yet we are going to come on to that but peter mr blexley an author and broadcaster of course did appear on love sport radio on drive yesterday with johnny and here is what he had to say about his open letter well i've been watching rangers virtually all my life since i was a child and I've seen the game evolve in the 50 years I've been watching them. And, and sadly, as you mentioned just earlier, I have seen increasing feigning of injury, exaggerating injury. Quite frankly, let's not beat around the bush as though I'm some kind of highly paid football pundit. Let's call it out for what it is, cheating. And Mr Harrison's actions on Saturday were so utterly commendable they were such a breath of fresh air for me that as I watched him, I was incredibly moved, incredibly grateful to him. I thought he was a credit to himself, the club he represents and his profession, that after having a very busy week, I finally got the time this morning to write him uh, an open letter and just tell him what I felt. Oh, he moved, fellas. Jack Harrison moved Peter Blexley. That's a lovely touch, that, isn't How it? How lovely. <laughs> isn't how many, it great? How many fans do that, actually, sort of take time to write to the opposition side <laughs> and say, I, 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 honestly, I honour what you've done. And, but it, I think Jack Harrison typifies um, what BLS is all about, his philosophy. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't rant about referees. He doesn't want to talk about the failure of refer, uh, referees and officiating. He rather sort of avoids all that. Um, you know, he's he's the FIFA Fair Play Award winner, after all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's not forget that. I've got to get that in there. We um, should we should talk about Naki Wells' handball as well, double handball, oh, right? If we're talking me. about cheating in in and in the QPR game, then surely that's without a shadow of a doubt, my friend. What's there an open letter about that, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I want Blexley and Mackenzie to be sitting in a pub <laughs> having a pint talking about this because I reckon it would make for quite an interesting conversation. <laughs> that's pay per view. Bring that. him up oh, now. <laughs> bring him up. <laughs> Uh, but gents, do you know what? I reckon he'd be blown away by your statistical data. By the way, by the oh, pair of you, yeah. I don't think he'd be able to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, few can, few can. Let's let's move. Me included. Uh, let's move on, gents. Opening stat, please, John. Yeah, it's actually from Chris. From Chris, um, because, you know, far be it from from uh, all stats, aren't we, to think that we're the only uh, people who can talk about stats in Leeds United? So now, I honestly think this is a travesty to uh, have my very first stat on this sh- show uh, <laughs> as bad as this. Um, but it is horrendous. We all know about Leeds. Uh, goal-scoring form drying up, but it is very, very bad. No Leeds player has scored in over six hours of football, so that stretches to 366 minutes of our last uh, matches played. Now, that includes two own goals scored, but if you go back to to Leeds players who've actually scored, you'd have to go all the way back to the game against Birmingham, the Mm. crazy 5-4 win, when Stuart Dallas scored in the 84th minute um, to find the last time that Leeds actually found the back of the net. So, um, not a great start, uh, not very reassuring, and not a great start to 2020. Um, but, Dreadful. Uh, it's Dr- that's probably the worst stat we've ever had. I mean, a good stat. I'm not doing <laughs> a stat down, but the worst stat in terms of the, the feeling around it. And we talk about players not scoring, gents. Patrick Bamford, now I know that he's been spoken to death about on this particular show, but watching that game and being a studier of, of, of penalties and the way that goalkeepers face penalties over the course of the past couple of years, I said out loud, He's not scoring this. You could see everything within Patrick Banford's demeanour, his deep breath, the way he sort of looked at the ref. He looked down. He was looking into the distance. You knew he was not going to score. Mm. You looked deep into his eyes, did I you? I looked deep into saw his, his eyes. Soul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you could only look at his body language to tell oh. that he just didn't look confident running up to it. Sort of, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's interesting that we we had Mateus Click. Who, who allegedly is very, very good in training, um, taking penalties until he missed that one against Derby County. Um, and then from then on, he was off penalty duties. And um, we've we sort of had this weird, we've had this weird scenario where Patrick Bamford has been wanting to get out of um, drought runs by taking penalties. So there's I think, the penalty against Blackburn Rovers mm. that he was desperate to take, took and scored. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm always, a, I'm always a little bit hesitant to talk about body language and stuff. It's always a bit post hoc, isn't it? To be like, well, you know, if you look at him before, he doesn't look like he's going to have it. But penalty, penalty scoring is like 
it's it's one of those things where sometimes it, it can just go in. You can, like a bad penalty is a penalty that isn't scored, but a good penalty isn't necessarily a penalty that is scored. If you look at some penalties, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. you don't hit the bottom corner. You're basically looking to send the keeper the wrong way. Sometimes the keeper will just make his mind up about going one way and Patrick Bamford could have taken that same penalty... 10 times and and five could have gone in and five could have missed so I I, I, I do think he I think he probably is under a huge amount of pressure obviously um, but I, I kind of think even if you're under pressure you shouldn't you shouldn't necessarily berate a striker for, for not scoring a penalty when it's just a one-off penalty but maybe you, you two disagree with that well, where do you start with, with Pat J. Bamford? I mean, I, you can talk about his overall game, um, the, what he brings to the side, um, his running, his pressing, his, you know, his link-up play and work-up rate. But you look at his finishing, mm. and, and there's no denying that his finishing ability and his, his stats across the board this season have been woeful. He's missed more big chances. He's missed 17 big chances, which is more than any other championship, side this, uh, championship player this season. Um, he's a confidence player. He goes through streaks. Um, we saw him get one goal and he, he gets confidence, he, he builds himself up and then he, he might get two or three um, in the next few weeks. But he, he goes on a run. Um, but it's uh, I struggle to, to justify uh, keeping Bamford in the side. I know we don't have any alternatives, um, but um, he's averaging a goal every eight shots. Um, when you compare that to the likes of Lewis Grabin, uh, Ollie Watkins, Nucky Wells, they're scoring every three three shots, three attempts. And those are the fine margins in mm. football. You know, we're going for automatic promotion. It's not even a fine margin, is it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's miles not, off. It's, it's an enormous margin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're talking about... I, I actually pulled together the stats of the top 33 goal scorers in the championship. So every player that scored seven goals or more. And Patrick Bamford has the lowest conversion rate of all of those players. He's mm. converted just uh, 13% of his of his shots on target, which is which is woeful. I mean, that, that really is bad. So... Um, so how yeah. long do you persist then? This is the, the key question here, isn't it? Because we can weigh up how he performs against certain teams, but those stats, Chris, you can't, mm. you can't hide from. That is cold, hard fact. You can't. You, you can't sort of... I don't know. You, you can't really... <laughs> you, it's, it's, I'm struggling to find the words to describe what, what Bamford brings to the side. Bielsa obviously loves him, rates him very highly. Um, but you've got to think of it. I, I stepped back last week after the penalty, shoot, uh, penalty miss and just thought, what do his teammates think of, of his performances? If he's consistently missing easy chances. Like I said, he's missed more big chances than any other player in the entire division. How much sort of faith do you keep in that player? How many, how many balls do you give to him? And, and, do you shift it off to Pablo? Do you move it off to Click? Do you find Hilda Costa instead? I'm struggling to, to understand it. But then again, he's, he's, he's our only hope at the moment. He's our, he's our only forward at the club. Um, it's a phenomenal situation to be in, but you've got to back him, and he's, he's got my full support. But he's struggling. The only thing I would say is that uh, the concept of finishing amongst, amongst is, is, is sort of like the holy grail amongst um, statistical analysts of football, because there's not really a, a necessarily a correlation between someone someone being good at finishing and them having good finishing season on season. So there's a very very weak correlation between players who will finish over their x. So if you're finishing above your xG projection, you're perceived to be generally a good finisher. If you finish below it, you're perceived to be a bad uh, uh, finisher. If you finish below your project, Patrick Bamford seven goals below his, his xG projection. So according to the chances that he's taken, you'd you would have expected him to score seven goals more at this point than he than he has. But if you actually look from season to season, it's very there's very very weak correlation between players doing like being good at finishing one season and then the next season. So it could be the case that Patrick Bamford comes back next season and over overperforms on his on his xG. And this the, this is the problem with football is that you know you don't have the time for like big sample sizes to be useful um, because let's say a, a sample size of like a season, which is what 36, 48 games. Um, we, you could be bad for that whole period and then the next 48 games you could be good um, so you, you, it's really very hard to say anything about someone's finishing ability essentially is, is what the stats suggest so like, like you said like Patrick Bamford could score two against Millwall and then have a run of seven goals and then yeah. he could hit another but there's other players who do that Romelu Lukaku for example was a very streaky player but if you look at him now in, in, uh, in I mean, look at him when he was at United everyone thought he was terrible um, now he's at Inter and he's, and he's putting goals away and there's no no problem so I do think that, that, that there is a psychological thing here that, that, that comes from the team the team have been top at Christmas again they, they've been under pressure and then they've struggled to, to, to score again so it's very very hard to know really where to go you kind of you do have to persist but the problem with, with Leeds is that they don't have the depth of squad 
to be able to fall back on someone else at the moment. I think that's the big problem that everyone is getting so head up about, and rightly so, I think. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You could, of course, just use your hands, like Naki Wells did. <laughs> oh, we're dear. gonna, we're not gonna dwell too much on the game, gents, because we're don't. gonna move on. We've got Baron Cross <laughs> coming on about, from I've Leeds. About that game. <laughs> but uh, in any, the intro, you're like a QPR game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess we played them last weekend. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> Does any part of you feel cheated about the result last week? Yes, massively. Massively. I mean, you, you can't have a double handball. That is such a significant goal in the game. It changed the whole perspective of the game. And I, I, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about the importance of the first goal uh, within Leeds games this season. But that was a pivotal moment in, in our game. And I think it was all downhill from there, really. But a referee can't fail to spot. I know it happened very quickly. I, that's the only defence I can think about it. But to miss two handballs from both hands, not just one hand. This is from, from left and right. And then tuck it home. Uh, it's criminal. I think we we do. I, I I don't like talking about refereeing because you know whatever it is, what it is. But it does feel as though there's been a lot of games this season where we've been unfortunate to be on the wrong end of a of a refereeing decision early on in the game. It's changed the scoreline, and then from that point on, the the opposition can just sit back, and it's a lot easier to defend against Leeds United than when you're a goal up. So it, it's one of those things where it's frustrating because you kind of think. If that if that goal isn't given, then who knows what happens? We may, maybe we win that game comfortably, and it feels as though the week that we've just had, which has been full of Leeds fans soul searching about everything, and 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 the club expected to do better in the transfer window, would have been completely different. And it does feel as though that's just simply come down to the fact that referees missed a fairly obvious um, violation of the rules. Indeed, he has that London curse lives on, fellas. But next, we are going to be speaking to Baron Cross, digital sports writer with Leeds Live here on the Leeds United Fan Show on Lost Sport. We've all got one, and we're not afraid to put it on display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter, or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio. Your fan station. The Leeds United Fan Show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And Chris Taylor from LUFC Data. A first time, I believe, Chris, that we've been in the show it's together my, the studio. It, that's right, yeah, that's my debut. Uh, a little bit nervous, but enjoying it so far. So, yeah, happy days. Doing well so far, mate. It's a good debut. Thank you. Good reviews. <laughs> uh, on the line now, we have Baron Cross, digital sports writer with Leeds Live. Hello, Baron. Good evening, Matt. Great to have you on the line, boss. I guess we've got to start with the news that has come out over the past hour or so. Ian <laughs> Pervader has joined yeah, from very... Manchester City. Four and a half year deal. Yeah, very, very well timed. Mm. Uh, you guys have uh, picked the ideal broadcast time. Following the <laughs> yeah, went out about half past six. Um, no real secret to anybody that's been on Twitter or on the internet for the past week or so. Um, a lot, a lot of interest in Pervader. We became aware of it, I think, January 10th. We first put something out and... Um, clearly filling that Jack Clark gap that's been in the squad. Um, and they've tra- been tracking him for quite a while. Bielsa is, is a very, very big fan, um, which, as we know, is, is probably the, uh, the the key bit of detail in this, knowing that it's somebody that he wants. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a lot of interest came out of the woodwork um, once leaders' interest became clear, you know, Germany, Italy, Spain. Uh, but in the end, I think Bielsa has been a, been a key factor, obviously. Ian, he's born in um, London, but his family is Colombian. And um, I think the Bielsa factor across the whole of South America is, I think, beyond what any of us can really comprehend. Um, really, really big factor in that deal. And I think also the the Spanish and sort of Latin feel around Leeds at the moment. A lot of the coaches, including the English coaches, are fluent in Spanish. And I think that's been quite key in convincing Ian and his family that this is the best place for him. Obviously, it's a very, very short move from Manchester. Still only 19. I think if any of us can think about where we were in our lives at 19. So it's a big, big decision. Um so clearly a lot of thought's gone into it and they've got it over the line. Mm. Yeah, he's a local boy. He's from Southwark, you know, Ian Pervader, so just around the corner from yeah. here. Uh, hi, Baron. It's John. I've, I've got a question. All of the all of the rumours that we're seeing coming out of Leeds at the moment seem to me... Now, this is my personal pet theory, so I'm, I'm going to run it by you and see what you think. Um, they yeah. seem to be running... Um, out of the Bielsa camp, so we've seen a lot of players. So Che Adams is wanted by Bielsa, and so yeah. uh, has been has been considered important. Pereira wanted by Bielsa. Uh, Jean Kevin Augustin came out to came out today. Phil Phil Hay, that's another one that um, Bielsa really wants. Do you think there's any sense in which there is a whole like um, raft of players that? actually Victor Orta and Angus Kinnear are considering behind the scenes um, as potential backups for these big players? Because a lot of these big players, to me, seem fairly unlikely. So there must be... Do you, mm. Have you got any sense that there's there's some there are other players that they're considering as sort of likely backups behind the scenes? 
Yeah, I think the nature of Victor's job is that he's always going to have lists upon lists upon lists of players for every single position. I think at any given moment, he could probably give you three names off the top of his head for every single position on the pitch that, that if they needed it filling, they could go out and get them. So I'm sure behind the scenes, Victor and his scouting team um, have short lists and then they, they sort of get short lists of the short lists and then we'll present the very select few to, to Marcelo. We're led to believe that, I mean, obviously the working relationship improves by the day. Um, they know each other very, very well by now. Victor is um, very, very clear on exactly what Marcelo wants. And I think we're at the stage now where he doesn't actually present names to Marcelo unless he knows they will fit the bill. Um, as we all know, Marcelo is very, very specific on every single fact about everything. So I think I'm sure behind the scenes, Angus and Victor do have other players that, that maybe with another head coach they would have considered. But I think they only present the ones to Marcelo that I think have got a realistic chance of actually getting through his vetting process. So every player will have been vetted by Bielsa then? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Victor's been on the record. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, but we spoke to him in the summer. I think Phil spoke to him in August. Um, and every time, every time he's been on the record, he's very, very clear. He's not one of these directors of football that will work with the chairman and they'll work behind the head coach's back and just give him players to deal with. Um, number one, because they think they respect Bielsa too much. And number two, because I think Bielsa would probably walk off the job if that was the case. I think he very much would want to be involved. And if things weren't signed off by him, I think they would have problems quite quickly. Hey, Baron. Chris here. Um, Hi, Chris. Hey, Baron. Um, basically, uh, my point is, I, I honestly think that Leeds are targeting a number of versatile players. There seems to be a, a mm. common denominator amongst these players. Shea Adams, obviously, being very versatile um, on the left, on the right, obviously up top, can play as a number 10. Augustin as well can play on either wing. Perveda uh, is a left-footed player, but he can play on the left and the right. Um, do you get the sense that Leeds are trying to bring in someone who can plug many holes in this squad? When we're briefed, we're not told it's it's to fill several roles. We're very much told, you know, they needed a goalkeeper. Uh, if and when, uh, it's very much an if, Kiko does get banned, then they want somebody dependable. They can bring in behind Meslier on the bench. They got that done. Jack Clark departed. They needed another winger. Pervader's done. And obviously, Nketi has gone. So they need a striker to fill that position. So when we're being briefed, it's very much, it's a winger to replace Clark. It's a goalkeeper to replace, uh, to come in as, as backup. And um, it's a striker to replace Nketiah. But, you're quite right, Chris. I mean, Bielsa is a man who clearly doesn't box off players. He doesn't think in positions every single press conference we have with him. I mean, Stuart Dallas is, is an ideal example. He doesn't think in positions. He doesn't box people off. So I'm sure he is thinking behind the scenes how he will use these players in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I think I think in the modern game, anybody that plays in that sort of attacking midfield strata, you know, Pervader, for instance, can play anywhere across that three, through the middle, down the left, down the right. Um Adams, I'm sure, if push came to shove, could could drop in and maybe play as a 10 or as a deep-lying forward, a target man, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I think versatility sort of is goes without saying almost. But um, when we're briefed, it's very much, um, I think, for the simplicity of, of the conversation, it's it's for one position. Baron, you mentioned the goalkeeper there. He's only young, right? So he's only an 18-year-old. Yes, in terms of that being sufficient enough in terms of cover for Meslier, and if Meslier does <clears> prove <throat> to be the number one, depending on what happens with Kiko, do you think that's a good enough signing, a sufficient enough signing for now? It's a good question. Um, I think when everybody's obviously available, he's third choice at best. I think Mirzek um, is still a work in progress. I think they do like Mirzek, and I think he would probably give him a good run for his money. Um, I think crucially we've all seen what Meslier can do we saw in the Arsenal game mm. and suspensions and um, injuries are generally quite rare for goalkeepers you know, it's quite common you see a goalkeeper will, will do at least 40 games of the season so I think they would think if Kiko does get banned then Meslier will be good for the period of time they need uh, and then they can fall back on Capril and in a, a really extreme case I think if they wanted somebody more dependable or more experienced than Capril then it becomes a harder sell, doesn't it? Because who are you going to go for that's going to be happy to come in as a third-choice goalkeeper at a championship club where the head coach doesn't like to rotate at the best of times? It's a very, very hard sell, I think, to get somebody in as officially third-choice. I totally agree. Um, I just want to go back to the uh, to the Ian Pervader. I've got a, a good stat on him, actually. Um, yeah. This is quite, quite a strong one. He's actually averaged or attempted 15 dribbles per 90 in the UEFA yeah. Youth League, which is over 900, 900 minutes of, of football for, for Man City. But attempting 15 dribbles per 90, you're expecting a player. This is a player who is powerful, he's electric, he, he's got talent in abundance. 
Um, he likes to take people on. He's averaging four crosses a game. Um, this is someone who who I expect to to be an impact player. Um, yeah. And this isn't a this isn't a backup sign. This is a first team sign. And given the number seven shirt, this is a, this is a big moment for him. Absolutely, this is huge for him. I think we were told from the start this will be a first team player. This won't be one of the many who are brought in to complement the under 23s. Clearly, he will go through the various processes so Bielsa knows he's ready for the first team. But you're quite right. You know, we have got um, scouting writers in our organisation as well who, who have looked at those stats. And, and you like you say, you can see it. It's all relative, of course. He. he given the opposition he's playing against. But you, know, you don't make one first-team appearance for Man City. You don't make um, several years in their academy and come through the system and, and be introduced to the first-team training programme by Pep Guardiola without having something about you. Um, we've spoken to various people who have known him since he was very, very young. He's obviously been at the likes of Brentford, Barcelona, um, over his very, very short career. So there's clearly a lot there to work with, and it, it is really, really exciting. Um but like you say, number seven shirt, he's, he's obviously not shirking the challenge. Uh, and he's coming in to play football. And I think what have we got? We've got Millwall on Tuesday. He'll obviously go in. They were off training today. He'll go into training tomorrow, Sunday, Monday. Um, I, I think I think you could probably safely say he'll make the bench on, on Tuesday, given how young the bench was at QPR. I think even given how new he is to the group and how Bielsa normally doesn't chuck people, and I'm sure he'll be on the bench on Tuesday at the very least. Um and then maybe a 23s game after that, just to really sort of get him get him uh, bedded in, if you like. Baron, been great having you on, boss. Just before you go, one last story that's come out, not specifically football related, but this kit deal with Adidas. Oh, what, yes. What's the crack with that? Is this just a, a classic premature story, or is there something in it? There's, there's certainly conversations going on. Everybody's well aware of, of the Kappa deal will go out of date, um, expire this summer. Um, we've been told off the record that you know it's it's still up in the air. It's not finalised yet. Adidas certainly are a candidate, um, but it's certainly one to watch and um, and one that should get done in the next few weeks. I mean, I, I would assume once the transfer window is out of the way, because that's obviously paramount at the moment. But um, it's exciting, though, isn't it? Anybody that's a, a football fan um, does like the idea of a traditional Adidas kit at Leeds. Um, so yeah, one to watch. But from what we're told, it's not done just yet. Baron, thank you very much for joining us. That was Baron Cross there, digital sports writer with Leeds Live. Would you buy a kit? Are you a kit buyer, John? I don't get excited by sponsorship, new sponsorship deals on mm. kits, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know why. I, I I like a good kit, but when it comes to Leeds, and I don't know. I'm not so bothered because like, Leeds are always going to have a white kit, aren't they? So. I do like this kit though. <laughs> I do. I got one for my uh, fiance for my birthday. Uh, surprise, but absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, wear it, wear it every Sunday. The era of the classic <laughs> kit has has gone to the dogs for me. You won't be surprised to hear. I just <laughs> okay, boomer. What what, <laughs> what what a waste of time it all is now. It's just nonsense. A new kit every single year. Yeah. Three new kits every single season. It's, it's too ridiculous. much. Ridiculous. Way too much. Remember when kits used to mean something? <laughs> you had something, kits. You had them two seasons minimum. Sometimes they stretched into a third. Now, mm. someone listening from the seventies might go, "Well, crikey, we had them for five, ten years at the same time." <laughs> I get that times have changed since then, but used to have kits that really, really meant something. That ninety-two title-winning kit that was there for a couple of seasons. Now we we had this nonsense at the start of the season. Oh, it harks back to that season in nineteen oh when we were playing across rail tracks and the little lines on the kit represent that and then within Christmas by the time it gets to Christmas the kids are already like one more kits out of date I want a new one next year I think as well the thing that gets me is that, that a lot of these kits are sort of like they're, they're template kits so you, you see the, oh. the Juventus kit and it's the same as the, Do not the, get the, me started. the yeah, yeah. And, and you end up with with being like well you're literally just paying for a badge on a on a, yep. on a sort of like template kit it's exactly what you're doing Sheffield United and Wolves played each other this season same kit different colour complete nonsense anyway we're going to get back to Leeds United next up we're going to be looking ahead to the game against Mill we've got John Kelly from the Southwark News on for the fans by the fans love sport radio it's the Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, joined by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And Chris Taylor from LUFC Data. I tell you what, it is a stat overload. It normally is on this show, but today we have gone one extra yard, I tell you. And Chris, you've got a stat about the first goal being scored in games. Yeah, this this was a theory that uh, that has sort of grown from last season. and It stemmed from, from then. But it's the, all about the importance of the first goal. 
the importance of the first goal. Now, Leeds have scored the first goal 18 times this season, which is more than any other championship side. But when we've done that, we've yet to taste defeat. So we've won 15, drawn three, lost none. Um, we've picked up 48 points after scoring first, which again is more, more than any other championship side. And across the top four tiers of English football, only Liverpool have picked up more. That's quite a substantial stat. Now, I know uh, we haven't done that uh, recently. Uh, in fact, I think we've only scored once in our last six games. But um, on the flip side of that, we've also conceded first in five of our last six games, um, which is quite substantial. Um, but we've only lost two competitive matches under, under Bielsa after scoring the first goal. Wigan at home, the, the famous 2-1 home defeat, which uh, I remember it well. It was a lovely day, lovely, beautiful, sunny day. Uh, and the wheels came came falling off it was like before the second world war when we were <laughs> queued up waiting to be taken off to the trenches yeah it was it, it was, was one of those days wasn't it it's was horrendous yeah. uh, and the second one obviously the the second leg I, I really don't like talking about that day but the second leg uh, defeat against derby um but yeah it's uh, it's a staggering stat and um we've yet to win a, a single league game after conceding the first goal this season i think that's quite an important stat we've, we've uh that's happened in nine games we've drawn three and lost six uh, and we've only picked up three points after we've conceded the first goal now that's the joint lowest um of any championship side alongside barnsley so the significance behind getting that first goal um you look at that sort of seven successive win run before the cardiff three or draw and you think about all those early goals and the importance of sort of gaining that momentum and finishing all the dominance that we had. We've had a lot of dominance in games and we're just not finishing it off and it's really it's really pain. The phrase that I always use is game state um, yeah. because there's so many, like take for example Fulham, right? We, we go to Fulham, they concede, we concede a penalty that probably wasn't a penalty early on and that changes the game and then and Fulham come out with the win from that. The same with QPR, you know, they get the goal, may, maybe a little bit unfortunate and as soon as you do that, the whole status of the game changes. People think that when you play a football match, you just sort of go out and you're like, well, we'll try and score a few goals, try and stop them from scoring. But you have a match plan, and as soon as someone scores, then their their tactic's going to change, your tactic's going to change, and it just becomes very, very hard to score against a team who can, can sit back and defend for, for a long stretch of time. Can I flirt an unpopular opinion here, gents? Sure. <laughs> like the like the kit one. <laughs> that, was, that was a popular opinion, wasn't it? I dread to think what an unpopular one is. Fine, touche. Um, Marcelo Bielsa, at what point, at what point will... I'm going to disagree with it. I've got a feeling I'm already, going to disagree with this. But at what point will certain Leeds fans turn around and say, hang on a second, because I know that he often comes out and he did the same thing last week. Sometimes things just don't go for you in football games and this time it didn't go for us. I don't think that's a good enough excuse for a manager to continually present like Bielsa does. Oh, it, yeah. I, I disagree. Strongly disagree. I, I love Bielsa. I'm a massive Bielsa. Um, but I have to say um, there have been certain managers that have come out recently, i.e. Scott Parker, Gary Monk, Mark Warburton, who've said that Leeds are very scripted. We knew where their weaknesses were. We knew where to pinpoint their uh, their weaknesses. And even Lee Bowyer. Um, I'll give you a quote from Lee Bowyer after the Charlton defeat. The game plan was to try and to start with a back four at the back and then to try and press them and win it high. Um, but because of the way they play out, they're a top side, but we could never really set ourselves for the press. Once we went to a back three, which was always the plan after 20 minutes, they struggle against the back three. They don't create as many chances. And that paid off. Um, and there seems to be a common trend amongst managers who identified Leeds' weaknesses. Mark Wilberton uh, focused on the transitions, and he really wanted to focus on the transitions early um, and target Leeds in wide areas. And I think a lot of opposition uh, sides have targeted our fullbacks because we like to play out from the back. We like to expand uh, using Preston's, the width. Preston certainly did that very well in the first 20 minutes. Of Preston's game. a fine example of that. And um, we've seen opponents increasingly target our wide players. We, we lose a lot of the ball high and wide in the final third. But what we're starting to see in the last eight games is a lot of ball losses in our own half. And that concerns me. Individual errors, not just from our full-backs, i.e. Alioski, Barry Douglas, Luke Ayling and, and co. But centre-backs, we're seeing Calvin Phillips lose the ball. We're seeing Stuart Dallas lose the ball. It's a common theme. And, and I don't know why these individual errors are creeping in. But it's it's a concern. I think I would say that Leeds are probably the best team in the championship, but they have not the best players. So that's I think partly to explain that. The other thing I'd say is that one of the, one of the things I joke about a lot after we we lose games is that manage, because managers are so desperate to beat Marcelo Bielsa because he's sort of held up as this paragon of of, of, of tactics and the grandfather of whatever 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 um, tactical 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 approach you want to call it. Um, you end up with this situation where they 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 sort of post hoc everything they say well you know the, the reason that take for example the Charlton game yeah sure Leeds weren't particularly great against Charlton but they 
Charlton's goal came from essentially their only chance. It, it bundled around in the box. Kiko kicked it against, um, I, I can't remember, no, Stuart Dallas, I think. Punched it against Stuart Dallas, it goes in. Mm. And that's it, 1-0. We couldn't, yeah, sure, we couldn't score after that. But, you know, as we've said, it's a lot. It's, it's really hard. Almost every game, game where we lose points, almost every game, there is a, a weird series of events which leads to the opposition scoring. And then teams sit back, play three at the back, and it's very hard for Leeds to do anything. So... I just like to clarify. I'm not against Bielsa, no, but you I, said do, it now. I, I do. You can't take it back. Part now. of me, because instantly, as soon as I even suggested it, I know that the the reaction from Leeds fans is like, "No, we're not going to agree with you. We love it." And and I do feel like you just mentioned there about the fact that teams are now setting their stall out to play against Leeds, and they've almost figured it out to an extent. It's then about Bielsa having that plan B. If it's not a plan B, it's complete carnage, like we saw at Birmingham. So the jury is slightly out for me on that one. We'll discuss that at length later in other shows, I would imagine, because right now we've got John Kelly from the Southwark News on the line to preview the game against Millwall coming up. Hello, John. Hey, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for coming on this evening. Now, life under Gary Rowett. Just two defeats in 16 since he took over. It's not looking too bad at the den. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been uh, an amazing one of uh, games. And um, he's come in, Guy Rouse, and transformed uh, this. Um, and Millwall fans are now thinking about maybe possibly a playoff, a, a playoff challenge. Um, not that it was bad with Ramita Harris, but um, the one of the results has been really, really good. Doesn't look like the line is too good there for John at the Den. Sadly, it's those Southwark lines. I tell you what, Pavedo, he's been clipping the, he's been clipping the phone lines when he left. Uh, sadly, we, we can't properly get hold of John there. But gents, we'll, we'll talk about the game amongst ourselves because it was a 2-1 defeat earlier on in the season to Mill. We'll pretty much... Um, at the height of when Garrett Rout, Gary Rout came in and they were starting to look good. But they are looking very good at the moment, Chris. They are looking very good. And they've uh, they've had a resurgence. They won nine of the last 17 matches since he took charge in mid-October. Won three of the last five. Um, it's going to be a difficult game. I mean, no game leaves Millwall is easy. I mean, it's, it's absolutely carnage. And I, I am predicting carnage on Tuesday. Uh, I do fear the worst. Um, 12 goals have been scored in our last two games at Ellen Road between Leeds and Millwall. Um, losing 3-4, obviously, and, and winning 3-2. But um, it's been a, a mixture of red cards, penalties, poor officiating. Uh, Berardi's red card. Uh, you know, another another great example of really poor officiating across the board. Just a point on that. I, I actually don't think it's just Leeds who are suffering from poor officials. I know we've had really mm. bad rub of the green, and it feels like we are... Um, made an example of it every opportunity but I think it goes across the board I think every club at the championship level are suffering from this we've seen um, many many sides sort of suffer from poor decisions and it's it's a common denominator Uh, and this is without VAR I was going to say, just be thankful you're not in the Premier League right now. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, and that's shambles. It's worse than kit changes. 
Um, but, uh, but but going back to Millwall, I, I think they have a lot of threats. They're, they're great at aerial threats. They're great at set pieces. Um, they Rowett's a very good manager at sort of uh, setting his sides up, and, and he's a very routine type of manager. Um, but they've got a lot of, th- uh, of, of threat, um, sort of very threatening players. Jed Wallace got nine goals, uh, eight assists. Season. Very, very good player. Uh, Tom Bradshaw again, uh, eight goals, uh, no assists. But and Matt Smith as well, as we all know, mm. a familiar face and uh, an absolute giant of a man. Um, seven goals for assists, uh, four assists. So um, yeah, they're going to be a difficult uh, teams to play against. Yeah, Gary Rowett, a low-key great manager, I think, um, and another one of those managers who's suffered from going to Stoke, a club who were a mess, and being probably like a good appointment for them, really, but not dealt with in the way that you need to deal with uh, in, in terms of recognising that the club is is just in a mess and you just have to take time to, to fix things. So and it seems to me from, from the out, outside that Rowett has uh, identified that Jed Wallace is the most important player at Millwall and has built a team around him. And Millwall have had, a, a, have had Neil Harris for years just sort of playing the same old sort of plodding football. They brought in a new manager who's, who's had a think about uh, the, the best roles that his players can play and it seems to really be be working for them and um, I, I like to see I like to see that I know that we're not supposed to like Millwall or anything but it's it's, it's I always see, think it's good when you get a manager coming in and saying you know what we can we can play football with the, with this group of players in a, in a way that's more attractive and, and actually will get you more results so I, I think the signings of Matt Smith and John Daly Budvarsson at the start of the season when Rowett came in I thought they would be pushed to the side but he's really persevered with both of them and Smith actually looks a different player now to when he looked under Harris at the start of the season and he's using him brilliantly. He is getting the best out of his players, isn't he? But he's a man-manager. He's, he's, a, he's a real motivator of a man. Hasn't worked at certain places. We know about Stoke. But um, no, he's, he's, a, he's a top manager and um, it's going to be a very difficult game on Tuesday. Indeed it is. Okay, gents, it is time. My favourite time of the show. Coming up next, listener questions. We've all got one, and we're not afraid to put it on display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter, or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio, your fan station. It is the thoroughly enjoyable Leeds United fan show this evening, with John McKenzie from All Stats Aren't We and Chris Taylor from LUFC data right now it is the listeners questions we've got about 11 minutes to go chaps so i reckon we're going to rattle through them this week and first up chris it is a question on the aforementioned patrick bamford what part of the body has bamford missed big chances with left right or head just curious about this one says patrick mccarthy now, I'm going to try and take this on as best as I can. I don't actually have any data for shot attempts from left boot, right boot, head, but I can give you goal data if that's any good. So just in terms of, of overall team goals, Leeds have scored 18 goals from the right, nine from the left. And I often get the sense that when Pablo's playing, we score a lot of goals through the right-hand side. We overload to isolate and, and we try and give Harrison a lot of space on the left to score. But a lot of our goals scored, you look at the, the left-footed goals that come from our, ta- uh, our side, Bamford scored eight goals with his left, Alioski four, uh, Costa three, Harrison two, Hernandez and Dallas with one each. You look at the right-footed goals, much less, uh, much sort of lower contribution. Uh, Click with three, Dallas with two, Harrison with two, and Ketty with two, and Phillips, Pablo, Ealing and Roberts with one. So, um, just going back to, to Bamford, Bamford scored eight goals with his left and, and two with his, with his head. Um, that's not going to change. You, you, you can't suddenly ask him to contribute with an enormous amount with his, with his right foot. I'm not sure that's the right focus here. Um, we're predominantly a side that performs uh, much better uh, on certain wings. And like I said, it's, it's the uh, focus on overloading to isolate. And we have certain players who, um, like, like uh, Pablo Hernandez, for example, um, who are instrumental in creating, carving open these chances. So oh. I think it's it's less on, it, there should be less focus on Bamford scoring with, with Watford and I'd just like to see him score with anything, to be honest. <laughs> Patrick Bamford is left-footed, so he's going to score more with his left foot. Okay. That's the long and short of it. Yeah, some of the chances, the, bad, the, the chance that he missed um, last weekend um, that was considered by some to be a big chance was on his right foot so he's weaker with his right foot but I think there's a lot of footballers who are weaker on their mm-hmm. non-dominant foot so um, I guess the, the, what I would say is that yes Patrick Bamford misses a lot of big chances 
recently Jack Harrison's been missing a lot of big chances as well and gets away with it. I know that can we just get past the idea that your striker is literally employed to score goals because that's not the case mm. like, the, a team scoring goals it doesn't matter who scores the goals yeah you, you you would expect your striker to score more for obvious reasons but if your striker isn't scoring more that's not necessarily that's not all he's employed to do providing other players in the team are exactly. weighing in mm. yeah no of course so I think you know what we're seeing with Leeds is a, an all round malaise in front of goal we do want ba- Bamford to score more we want Harrison to score more uh, we, want, we want Hernandez to score more I just don't think that we have we don't have very incisive goal scorers on our team there's, there's, there's no one who you look at and you think you know if they get the chance to score they're going to score it and they're going to take it which is what you need and that's kind of that's kind of killing us but what can you do what can you do about that right now it's absolutely spot on John and, and just in terms of the fact that our second highest goal scorer this season is own the goals. own goal <laughs> yeah. I mean that's ludicrous I mean it's great that we're pressing teams into conceding errors and stuff but there should be less focus on, on Bamford we know that Bamford needs to improve his, his finishing you know, we, we've said that all show but um, others need to step up to the plate no other Leeds player this season has got more than five goals I mean that's appalling but um, I've looked at the conversion rates of, of Leeds players this season. I've gone about Patrick Bamford having a 13% conversion rate, which is nowhere near good enough. I mean, you're talking about 34, 26, 24% yeah. for the likes of Graben and Bowen and, and, and other top, top forwards. But you look across the board and um, Pablo Hernandez, 10%. Um, Click, 10%. Phillips, 10%. Ailing, 9%. Dallas, 7%. White and Cooper have yet to score this season. In fact, no centre-back for Leeds has scored. Last season, six of our goals were scored by centre-backs. You know, and it's like Liam Cooper had a glorious chance uh, to, to get on the score sheet this season. Yeah, people complain season. about corners. Our centre-backs do not put enough decent efforts on target from corners we're yeah. terrible in the air as well I think you know yeah. there's if, l- last week against QPR Bamford missed a, a header at the back post Alioski missed a header at the back post and Harrison missed a big chance in the back mm, post yeah. those are the those are the chances that are killing us it's, who, yeah Bamford's worked a good position got a shot on the edge of the area the keeper's probably out of position um, he's, he's got well um, Statsbomb had it as a 25% chance of scoring that but we we had better chances than that in the game, and Indeed. we didn't score them as well. We had four of those, and you kind of think, you know, it's all well and good missing like missing one or two of them. But when you when you're missing every single chance that comes along, where you have a decent chance, and it's hitting the target, and we're not even hitting the target. You know, it's headers to the back post, players getting free, getting a decent contact on it, and it going wide. You, it's just mm. unforgivable. Yeah, strikers, sadly, just to go back to the point, are judged on scoring goals, aren't they? So that is the tricky one with this, unless you mm. delve deep into the stats, which you guys do. By the way, Jean Kevin Augustin. If we're talking about goal ratios, not the best. And when you not look at it on season. paper, yeah, not the best. But only 22, so potentially if he does it's a good right. player. He, I yeah. mean, he started out at PSG. He was he, and and was was sort of touted as being a, a really uh, a good starlet. Went to RB Leipzig, uh, and I watched him quite a bit at RB Leipzig. He's a good player. He's he's really useful. He was unlucky in that team. Well, he's 22, so he's not going to exactly. get. But they had yeah. Yusuf Paulson at the time. The Timo Timo Werner's brilliant players who, who he wasn't going to get ahead of, and he's gone to Monaco and just hasn't really worked there. Monaco is a club with a huge amount of problems at the moment, so you can't really read too much off it, um, really. So I think he's he's a great player, but he's I think he's way out of reach for us. I just don't I can't see it happening. I agree with that to be fair. And um, this is a player that has a lot of potential. He's won the um, the under nineteen European Championship of France. Um, scored, I think, he finished top goal scorer with six goals in five games, um, going back a long way. But he's powerful. He's quick. He's strong. I can't see this one getting over the line, to be fair. Didn't quite work at PSG. Went to Leipzig. Still hasn't quite worked there either. Um, So, you know, I'm desperate to see a player that's in form, banging in goals left, right and centre, coming in with with lots of confidence. We've got 18 games to go. You know, they already need to get up to speed with Bielsa Ball. That's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time to do. We don't need someone who's coming in with low confidence and needs to try and find his goal-scoring boots. Which is why Shea Adams, for me, isn't really the answer. This is the problem with January, right? This is why why managers don't sign people in January, Mm -hmm. because the only players who are going to be available in January are players who are low confidence, aren't playing, and uh, basically on the way out of their their club. And the the parent club sees it as a good way of making more money than they would do on a a player who's not playing well. Or you pay way over the odds for someone that is paying well. Yep, Top dollar. Absolutely, 100%. Well, I thought we were going to get through all of these. I'm not sure we're going <laughs> to because we went quite deep on that one from Patrick McCarthy. Yeah. We're going to move on to Gary Darren now who has asked, is the answer to the Calvin Phillips suspension, of course, getting sent off in that game against QPR last week? Jeff Cameron, by the way, I understand. Terrible foul. And as a player, sometimes you are raging. I, but he totally was sent understandable. Off. He was sent off. So yeah. after, I mean, what? I don't know what Jeff Cameron wanted after that. 
Yeah, and I don't think Calvin Phillips was pretending that it wasn't a bad foul. No, either, it was a horrendous tackle. I, yeah. I think yeah. when you are, when you've been in the game as long as Jeff Cameron, I say this as someone who played like amateur football for a long time. Um, I think when I got to the end of my career and, and youngsters jumped in on me like that, I would, I would. Having said that, I was playing amateur level, so I was like, "Mate, this is amateur level. This is not worth it." But I know I, I've, I've had that feeling before. You just think, you know, that's that's a career-ending tackle potentially. Yeah. Think about what you're doing before you do it, and and by getting annoyed in that way is the only way you can really make that point. I think it's not going to be as as strong when you when after the game when you're like, "Yeah, just don't do that again in the future." Yeah, mm. fair enough, fair argument. Well, Gary Darren did ask, "Is the answer to that suspension a change of formation or for McCalmonts to step up?" Switching white didn't really work at Huddersfield. It didn't, did it? McCowan's certainly the option, um, but I mean, he's had very limited game time. It's a massive game to step into. I'm very, very concerned about throwing someone so young and inexperienced into a game so physical, uh, and it's going to be a very intense, uh, high-speed game with lots of uh, lots of pace in midfield. I'm sceptical about throwing McCowan in there. Um, sceptical about White as well, though, surely. Well, that's just <laughs> it. I mean, I don't want to move White out of centre-back position. So um, who do you play there? I know. I mean... Would you put Stuart Dallas in, in central midfield no. and move him out? <laughs> uh, a very unpopular decision this is, for many. So this is it's, an interesting point, though, because yeah. I think everyone is complaining about us not having a backup striker. and mm. We've not had a backup position against uh, for Calvin Phillips the whole season. Mm. And it's got to this... But we know that Calvin Phillips is going to get sent off at some point in the season. Yeah. And it's got to this... But we had him, we had him out for one game, obviously, already, and that was a, a mess. We... we I think we let the we let the, the 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 owners and the board get away with this sort of idea that Bielsa likes a small squad, but we don't even have a small squad. We have like an assortment of players who like some of whom fit in positions. I think the squad management sometimes is really debatable, and and a position like Calvin's, which is obviously so important for the whole system that we play, mm. to not have a backup there is just unforgivable. Really, it is. It definitely is, and we're almost like missing an Adam Forshaw type figure. Uh, in the middle, aren't we? It's been said. It's been said. <laughs> uh, gents, we've only got two and a half minutes left, so I'm going <laughs> to skip to the last question. Just a note to Dave Milford. I like that question. We're going to come on to that when we've got more time because I believe it deserves more time. So I'm going to skip to Joe Hill and stats. This, uh, Gents, this one, I'm calling you stats <laughs> as a pair now. Is there any stats to suggest we generally perform worse in the second half of the season than the first? I know we did last year, but what about in the years before that? Is it still just the Leeds curse? That's from Joe Hill. I just think all teams teams perform worse in the second half of the season because you then you have a whole host of data to to um, borrow from from the first half of the season that allows you to then see what that team has been doing tactically so you can say well we played against them last in the first half of the season we've seen other games we know what to do we, we, I the classic example of this is Conte's Chelsea where they they absolutely busted it for the first half of the season and then dragged themselves over the line the second half of the season because suddenly everyone realized realized they were playing a 3-4-3 and and worked out how to best to 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 stymie that so i think that's just a natural uh, that's just natural when you when you play whatever however many games it is 23 games at the beginning of the season and then and then another 23 later on you you're going to do that there's definitely a statistical drop off I, I looked at stats uh, a couple of weeks ago um, from Jan- from August to December, January to to May, and the drop off is is quite substantial. I think there's a seven point seven uh, percent differential between right. the average amount of points that we earn between August and December and, and Jan and May. But there's some very worrying concern. We we've won one of our last eleven games in April, mm. which concerns me. <laughs> I, I'm dreading April, um, but it's just the last three years. You know, going back to Gary Monk's season as well, um, the drop off rate towards the end of this season is phenomenal. It really is concerning. But I'm optimistic. It's not going to happen this season. It's very, very different, of course. Um, and we've got reinforcements now. So so hopefully we can get a new striker in along with, with Perveda and, um, and 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 attack the last 18 games of the season. Ellen Drode effect, I think it is. I don't know. That, that sounds really non-statistical. But At least you still care, right, John? You still care, <laughs> care yes? Care. Good. It's been not as much but... as I do about kits. But <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's... Gents, it's been nothing but a pleasure having you on. As always, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here. Thank John, you. thank you. Yeah, it was always a pleasure. We'll see you next week on the Leeds Fan Show. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Mom? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 